and welcome back to The Pew, everybody. My name is John Edwards. I'm your host, and I am so excited to invite you back into another one of these bonus episodes of Just a Guy in the Pew. If you've been following what what we've been doing lately, you know that we've had on some of our favorite Catholic presenters and guests in the church and today is no different. Uh, you know, today we're going to have a, a priest on that has been a tremendous gift to the church, has been a gift in my life, and probably some of yours. But today we're going to have on Father Timothy Gallagher. And before I bring him up, I want to tell you a little bit about him. So first of all, Father Timothy Gallagher was ordained in 1979 as a member of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, a religious community community dedicated to retreats and spiritual formation according to the spiritual exercise of St. Ignatius. Having obtained his doctorate in 1983 from the Gregorian University, he has taught at St. John Seminary in Massachusetts and also Our Lady of Grace Seminary in Boston. He's assisted in formation work and served two terms as provincial in his own community. He has dedicated many years to an extensive international ministry of retreat, spiritual direction, and teaching about the spiritual life. He's a frequent speaker on EWTN, and his digitally recorded talks are utilized internationally. He's written eight books on Ignatian spirituality and discernment of spirits and prayer, and currently holds the St. Ignatius Chair for Spiritual Formation at St. John Vianney Theological Seminary in Denver. So without further ado, I'm going to bring up my friend, Father Timothy Gallagher. Father Gallagher, thank you for joining us today. It's such a pleasure to have you. Oh, it's great to be with you, John. Thanks for inviting me to be here. Yes, sir. Well, I've been excited about this for a while. I know we were going to do this back in March, and you had a lot going on. And gosh, with the pandemic and everything in the world now, everybody's got a lot of things being shifted around. So thank you for being available today. And you know, this is this is an interview that I've been looking forward to for a while because so many of the listeners, so many guys that listen to us, they write in all the time about struggling to make decisions in their life, um, hearing different voices and, and, and thoughts in their head and not knowing where they're coming from, uh, and just struggling to really discern God's voice and call in their life. And so uh, I know several years ago, a friend of mine introduced me to your books and helped me to understand Ignatian spirituality, uh, of course, better than I did at the time. And you've made it very easy for a lot of people through all of your books. So I just want to welcome you, and I want to you know, start off with just saying, asking you personally, um, you know, who was St. Ignatius, and, and why did you believe he was important? Well, probably the best way to introduce that is this. I mean, we could go through the biography, 16th century Spaniard, pretty wayward until the age of 30, uh, major conversion, and then dedicated to the Lord, founder of the Jesuits. Um, great impact on the church, obviously, in wonderful ways. But I'd I'd go back to the moment when he uh, was wounded in battle. He had three surgeries on his leg and eventually was well in every way except that he couldn't walk and uh, asked for reading and was given a kind of reading he'd never done before. Um, There was a volume of the life of Jesus and another with lives of the saints. And he starts reading these things to pass the time and now finds two different sets of thoughts arising. Uh, One about a very worldly project. It's... um, concretely the pursuit of a woman who socially would be unattainable for him, probably the uh, younger sister of the king. And then uh, he finds himself for the first time thinking about living like the saints that he's reading about, Francis and Dominic, two different ways of directing his life. And the pivotal moment comes, and this is where his whole teaching on discernment is born, when it dawns on him that after he spent hours thinking about how he'll pursue the unattainable woman, which is really engaging while he's thinking about it, he always winds up feeling empty, dry, unhappy. 
Whereas when he's been thinking about living like St. Francis, St. Dominic, and the others, again, very engaging while he's thinking about it, his heart remains happy and content. And that's the pivotal moment in his life. That's where his teaching on discernment is born. When he begins to realize that if you pay attention to what's going on in your heart and in your thoughts, you can discover where God is leading and you can also discover where God doesn't want you to go. And of course, he makes the decision to imitate the saints with the fruit that we know. But that's that's when his teaching is born. Uh, if you are attentive, if you learn how to be attentive to the experience that's always going on in all of us, in our hearts and thoughts, there is a spiritual read on that that will firmly protect us from straying from God, following the what he calls the enemy, the evil one, and then firmly embracing where God is leading in our lives. So that's the key thing. Yeah, and that's I think that's something that so many people struggle with. I know I have in my life is uh, sometimes in prayer, you know, I'm asking questions and asking for directions and asking God to lead in a certain way. And sometimes it's very hard to distinguish a voice at all or to hear something or a direction there. And so I, I think this is so important in the everyday person's life to learn as a Catholic um, because we do need help finding what God wants of us and, and the things that he doesn't, like you said. When did you, Father, first discover these teachings? And, and you know, when did you know that teaching this discernment of spirits was what you were called to do? Well, my first exposure to it was when I made the Ignatian retreat under the guidance of a really wonderful uh, French-Canadian Jesuit. That was just before I was ordained to the diaconate. But the real pivotal moment came when uh, I sort of hesitantly started giving little half-hour talks on Ignatius's 14 rules, practical guidelines for making sense out of the spiritual experience and knowing how to respond to it. And it was in particular one retreat uh, where we had a, a small group of retreatants and over eight days I went through these 14 guidelines or rules with them. And it was electric. Um, they knew in the reception of the material and I knew in the transmission of it that something really important had happened. Well, that group kept asking for more retreats. I was doing three a year for them. And it just kept growing like that. So, of course, I, I did an awful lot of uh, pretty serious study, you know, to be properly grounded in the material. And that was very enlightening. But what really led to this whole work, which I never planned, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, I trust the Lord did. But what really led to it was the response of people to this material. No one's ever explained this to me before. Now, for the first time, I understand what's going on. Now I know what that situation was all about. And another time around, I'd know how to respond differently. And it was out of that that I came to see the biblical summary of what Ignatius is doing in these 14 rules as the setting of captives free. That's what Jesus mm. uh, indicates as the essence of his message in Luke 4 in the synagogue. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has appointed me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to captives, to let the oppressed go free. So many of us, John, and we all know it, uh, live with... Um, a kind of grayness of discouragement and heaviness and there are many reasons for it now and they've grown in recent years if you think of the the pandemic the situation in the culture the uncertainties in our own country the sufferings of our church people's individual lives there's a lot of vulnerability to this kind of heaviness or discouragement and here is this short essential clarity with a clear a clear a clear um, clarity with a clarity that's unparalleled in our catholic spiritual mm -hmm. tradition short teaching that you can get a hold of learn and put into practice that can do an awful lot with god's grace to turn that around that's why i love teaching it 
Yeah. And I think you're exciting a lot of people in just what you said, because there, there are so many struggles right now. I get countless emails and messages, and I feel it in my own life with just the yeah. uncertainty, you know, just in the pandemic itself. Is, is the world going to ever go back to normal, right? Is our country ever going to quit being divided? All of these different things that we see out there. And if you're not trained in this, the way you're talking about, or at least have some knowledge of, of the principles, then you can get so caught up in these things and lead you to despair and dryness in your faith and all of these things. And so I, I don't want to keep people from, from the next question, because I'm sure they're all wanting to hear this right now is, you, you know, you mentioned the 14 steps. So what, what are those steps? Could you take us through them and sort of give us a, a rundown of, of what it is to, to discern the way that you're talking about? Sure. Now Ignatius calls them rules. And by that word, what he means is a short, essential statement, it might be one sentence or two, which gives a, a basic instruction about a spiritual reality, but above all gives practical tools for responding to it in daily life. You know, back in the 1980s, when I first started um, presenting and teaching these rules, you know, people kind of shied away from that word rule. You know, yeah. we're Americans, live free or die, don't tread on me, just do it all, all the rest of that. Sure, but you know, sure. it's that's changed dramatically in recent years because there is such chaos now in the culture that the word rule has become, um, uh, it's seen in a whole different way. Think of Jordan Peterson's mega bestseller with millions of copies and translated into 50 languages, 12 rules for life, rules. Mm -hmm. If you look up on Amazon, the word, uh, just type in rules, you'll get uh, over 70,000 uh, responses to it, wow. you know, in publications. So 500 years ago, Ignatius of Loyola entered into this confused interior experience, these, the stirrings that ebb and flow in our hearts, anxiety, hope, attraction, resistance, and then the various thoughts that accompany them. I should do this. It's time to stop doing that. Maybe I missed that out. Maybe, all of these kinds of things and crafted a clear, usable way to make, to do three things, to become aware of this interior experience, which is always going on. So if I may reverently ask John of myself and you and any listening, what was in our hearts and thoughts when we awoke this morning and started the day? Did we even notice what's been in our hearts and thoughts for the last six months? the last year, two or in five. So the first, first thing Ignatius will help us to do is just notice that this is going on. The second thing then is give us tools to work with it until we understand what is of God and what is not of God in this experience, to use his vocabulary, what is of the good spirit and what is of the enemy. And then thirdly, to take the appropriate action, accepting, drinking in, being guided by what we know to be of God in this attraction, this way of thinking, and so forth, and firmly rejecting what we now know to be not of God or of the enemy, so that it can never lead us astray. So that's it. Be aware, understand, take action, accept, and reject. That, that's what it is. And the 14 rules take you through a number of experiences. I'm, you, you tell me, John, we can exemplify some of them if you'd like, sure. or whatever would be most helpful. Yeah, I would love to hear you do some of that. I know that's one thing I love about your books is it's not just um, explaining something like that. You give examples, and one of the favorite books that you, you've written of mine um, was uh, Discernment of Spirits and Marriage, where you actually applied these these rules to to marriage, and I found it very helpful in my own marriage. Um, and so, yeah, I'd love to go through those things and, and, and talk about it a little bit if you want to give us some examples. Okay, let's play out. Um... So uh, let's take a college student 
and he's a sophomore. Um, he was raised Catholic, but you know it wasn't the main thing in his life. And when he got to college, stopped going to church, got involved with a group of guys and uh, promiscuity and some substance abuse and so on, everything that goes along with that. And um, everything outwardly looking, he seemed to be going well enough. But um, something in him wasn't really, just wasn't really satisfied. It just, this is too little. You know, I, I, I don't, I'm not really happy. I, I won't let other people know it, but it's there when I'm alone and silent. Okay. What you've got going on there is Ignatius' first rule. When a person is living a life far from God, a life of a serious sin, then the evil one, that's the world, the flesh, and the devil. So Ignatius calls that the enemy. What the evil one will do is just keep the person's imagination filled with images of sensual pleasures. Because, And think of today with uh, screens yeah. everywhere and in our pockets. Because as long as, uh, and it's an effective tactic, as long as our imaginations are filled with such images, we're very likely to pursue that way of life. But the good spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, the good angels, uh, the work of grace in us through baptism, good influences around us in the world, God and all those influences that are from God and directed toward God. What the good spirit will do is exactly the opposite. Ignatius says will sting and bite. That's that sense of uneasiness. Ignatius famously called it restlessness until we rest in God. That sense that I want more than this. I'm not happy this way. I don't want to keep on going this way. All right, now, let's say the... Um, the, the sophomore uh, welcomes the action of the good spirit, maybe um, gets up his courage and goes and sits in the back pew at a Sunday mass and uh, doesn't want any of his friends to know, maybe even. But something that he experiences there in the communion of the people, uh, maybe something that's said in the homily that speaks to him, it, it begins a change in his life. And now um, he returns to the church and... Um, Oh, let's say it's three or four years later. Now he's back regularly going to Sunday Mass. Um, oh, let's give him a few more years. Let's put him in his 40s. He's married, uh, has, has maybe two children, two, three children. And uh, now he's, he's faithful to Sunday Mass, um, confession occasionally through the year, prayer very occasionally, you know, as he has a need here, maybe uh, before meals, something like that. And then this Sunday the pastor announces that the parish is going to have a weekend retreat in the upcoming Lent. And he's kind of interested in this. He's never done anything like this before. His wife encourages him to do it, and he goes. And he likes it. Uh, the, the times of quiet, the talks speak to his heart. Saturday evening, there is a penance service with individual confession. And um, he goes to confession. But this is not just his routine confession, because he's seen things you know, in the silence and the talk and the prayers, you know, maybe some ways of using the internet that are not really good for him, uh, maybe some practices at business that are, you know, at least skirt with the unethical that aren't, aren't really right, certain kinds of conversation that he gets into that aren't really good for him spiritually, and uh, is received warmly by the confessor and comes out of the confession with a sense of peace he's long wanted to feel. And something in him says, I don't want this to pass. I want this to continue. And he resolves to start going to confession regularly uh, after the retreat and does it. He changes his practice of the Internet, quietly pulls away from the conversation, those conversations, and no longer um, employs those practices that are not really good. And at the same time, something else starts happening. Uh, his wife notices that he's warmer and their marriage is, is getting stronger. Uh, the children sense him close to them and more interested in them uh, than before. 
And he finds himself thinking, you know, if uh, just Sunday Mass is helping like this, well, now that I'm taking it more seriously, maybe it's time to start praying a bit each day. And there's a men's prayer breakfast on Tuesday mornings, uh, the first Tuesday of every month. He joins it, enjoys the men, the talks speak to him, notices that some of the men even go to daily Mass, starts doing that occasionally. And um, one Sunday, the priest uh, invites the parishioners in his homily maybe to spend 10 minutes every morning with scripture, uh, starts that, likes it, finds himself now exploring where the Lord is calling him more deeply into his vocation. Okay, now we have Ignatius's second rule. This is a beautiful profile of the person who has changed that earlier direction and is now seeking to uh, grow in freedom from sin and to grow in the love and service of God. Now, how's the enemy going to act and how's the good spirit going to act in this situation? And every one of us will recognize this in our lives. Most likely, if anyone is listening to this conversation, it's because he is in this second spiritual situation. With all of our flaws and weaknesses and the just man falls seven times a day, scripture says all of that, but sincerely wants to live this. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now Ignatius says <clears throat> it's the enemy who's going to try to bite and sting and discourage and show show the person that it's too difficult. So he has a difficult day at work, um, it's discouraging. Maybe there's a difficult conversation with one of his children at supper that doesn't resolve really well. And now it's 10 o'clock, he's in his study. Normally at this time, he does pray with scripture for 10 minutes, um, makes a, an examination of conscience. He has a simple routine of prayer with which he ends the day. But now he's, as he sits at his desk, a few inches in front of one hand is the Bible, nothing, and it wants to reach out for it. Doesn't feel God's closeness, yeah. no energy for prayer. A few inches in front of the other hand is the phone. Everything in him wants to reach out for it in a way that he knows can become, to use Ignatius' phrase, low and earthly. And one touch can become 100, become 200. Yeah. All right. There, this, this voice that says to him now, look at you. You thought you were growing spiritually? What a mess you are. Look at you don't even want to pray. You don't you're not really much of a man of prayer and look at you so willing to give in to a temptation that you know you know where it leads and you're you're ready to do it. Who are you to think that you're ever really going to change from the person you were before? How many times have you tried? How long has it ever lasted? So very reverently now, have any of us uh, ever listening now when we've wanted to let go of something that's not good for us spiritually? or embrace something that will help us grow spiritually. Have we ever heard those kinds of discouraging voices? It's too difficult. You know yourself. You can't do it. No shame. I can't say that with enough energy in experiencing it. This is simply a tactic of the enemy. Ignatius describes it in his second rule. And this is the point. Be aware of this. So when the man sits there at 10 o'clock, what if he's not aware of the enemy's tactic here, doesn't understand it for the tactic of the enemy that it is, and doesn't take action to reject it, and does go on the phone at 10, puts it down at 11.30? What's in his heart as he retires? What's in his heart as he begins the next day? I mean, you can see this matters. Oh, this yeah. is where the stuff of the spiritual life is lived, and this is where Ignatius really wants to be our friend and help us. But what if, by God's grace and with a bit of courage, he is able to say, wait a minute. I love that wait a minute in the spiritual life because that's yeah. to be aware. <laughs> yeah. This isn't right. This is this is not good. Okay, that's the understand. However, articulately he says it, he knows that this is not right. This is not good. This is not of God. It's 
and he rejects it and with some courage reaches out for the Bible and never picks up the phone that evening. Now what's in his heart as he retires? What's in his heart as he wakens the next day and relates to his wife and goes off to work? So this is what these rules can do. They can help us in these many daily situations that we face that are the real stuff of 98% of the spiritual life because that's where the peak moments only happen a few times. Most of it is right here. So that's just a, a brief description of Ignatius' first two rules. Yeah, well, that is... That's incredible. I feel like you were telling my own story there <laughs> when you were when you were just that whole thing about college and, and drugs you know, and I, all that stuff. John, I'll just I'll just add this if you'll allow me. One time, sure. uh, I, I went through this with a group of men in a retreat and uh, some days of retreat. And when it was over, we were having a final conversation. And I use that example of ten o'clock, you know, quite a lot the, the sure. Bible and the smartphone because we all recognize it. Um, and uh, one of them said, uh, every time you said that, I wanted to say, get up and say, would you stop talking about me? It's all of us with yeah, our different nuances, but it's all of us. Right. They were convicted and see, by Here's it. the thing, John. There is no shame in experiencing these tactics of the enemy. It's simply what happens in living the spiritual life in a, yes, fallen, but above all, loved and redeemed world. The, so to get familiar with these tactics of the enemy to be aware of them, to understand them for what they are, and to have the tools, which is what Ignatius gives you in the last 10 of the 14 rules to reject them, is enormously uplifting and encouraging in the spiritual life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think it's, it's just the example you gave and what you've been talking about here. It's so helpful to men to, to hear things like this. It's I'm not the only one, right? Because the devil likes to try to separate us, to isolate us, to think we're the only one with a, a drinking problem or a pornography problem or uh, someone who doesn't speak to their wife the way they should. And, and so we get in that place where we can get pretty down on ourselves and think, why even try? Which I think is the goal of all of his efforts, right? Is why even try? Just stop, quit trying sure. to be something different and, and give this up. And you know, those, those could take you to a place of a, a desolate place. And I know that's something that I wanted you to speak about here too is, you know, the idea which come later in the steps too of consolation and desolation. What those things feel like, um, what we experience during the two things, and what we need to be doing in those times. If you could talk a little bit about that in relation to the rules and, and, um, and, and furthering a little bit in the, in the next few steps. Sure. Yeah, so the, the key thing here is to understand what Ignatius means by these two phrases, spiritual consolation and spiritual desolation. Actually, without those titles, we've used them in the example that I gave just a bit earlier. Yeah. So um, when the man, for example, goes to confession and uh, he comes out of the confession feeling a warm sense of peace and goodness in his heart and a sense of being close to God and God's love with him, he is experiencing what Ignatius calls spiritual consolation. Consolation is a heart-level word. If you think of head, meaning thoughts and ideas and logic and heart, feelings, emotions, and so forth, consolation is a heart-level word, and it, it just means an uplifting movement uh, of the heart. So joy, hope, gratitude, love, peace, and so forth. And spiritual consolation because it's on the level of our relationship with God. There's also just a natural I call it non-spiritual, just human or emotional consolation. You know, you 
listen to some nice music and you just feel a little better or chipper yeah. or something, you know, yeah. or you have a good conversation with someone and you enjoy it. Those are all good things, obviously. But what Ignatius is speaking about is these uplifting movements of the heart on the level of faith in our relationship with God, like the man feels after his confession. And then its counterpart is spiritual desolation, which is ex exactly the opposite. And, you know, John, to my mind, I think spiritual desolation for most of us, most dedicated people, and that's going to be your listeners, um, for most of the way on the spiritual life, this is the real problem. And to, to be aware of it, understand it, and know how to take action to reject it, I think for most of us on a daily level is the greatest gift God gave to the church through Ignatius of Loyola. So if spiritual consolation, consolation is an uplifting movement of the heart, desolation is going to be a heavy movement of the heart, a downward, a heavy movement of the heart. So sorrow, anxiety, uh, discouragement, uh, sadness, and so forth. And Ignatius is speaking about these on the spiritual level. So let's go back to our man at 10 o'clock after the discouraging day. So Let's say he had a, a, a difficult interchange with his boss at work and something in a project isn't turning out as well as he hoped. And that's kind of discouraging. And then he has the conversation uh, with, let's say, his son that doesn't go as well as he'd hoped. All right, there, there is a desolation there. There's a heaviness of heart, but it's on the natural level. So call it non-spiritual, excuse me, <clears throat> non-spiritual non or just natural um, desolation. But now at 10 o'clock, there he is at his desk. Normally, he really likes to spend these minutes in prayer with the Lord. But tonight, he doesn't even feel God's closeness at all. He has no energy for prayer. He just feels discouraged about what's happening in his spiritual life. He just feels like, oh, let me just slide into something that's more gratifying. And there's the phone and, and so forth. With reverence, I say with reverence because we all experience this, and there's no shame in this. He is experiencing spiritual desolation, which is a tactic of the enemy, precisely as you say, John, to try to discourage us from going forward in the spiritual life. No shame in experiencing it. Yeah. But what makes all the difference is to be aware. Wait a minute. Uh, to understand it. You know what? This is not God. This is not good. There's a tempter going on here. And then to take action to reject it. I am going to pick up the Bible the way I always do every night at 10 o'clock. That's Ignatius's rule five. When he tells us when you're in spiritual desolation, don't change anything you'd ever planned to do in your spiritual life before the desolation began. You plan to go to confession at four o'clock on the upcoming Saturday. It's on your calendar. The difficult day at work on Friday. Difficult conversation at supper. Discouragement Saturday morning. I don't know. Maybe I'm not in any shape to go to confession today. We'll we'll do it next week. Okay. There's your rule five. You know, you're in a time of desolation. You're thinking of making a change. Never do it. So let me just say the eight words that um, are classic. When I teach this, I have people repeat these twice with me. I say them and repeat them twice. In time of desolation, never make a change. I will say it once more. In yeah. time of desolation never make a change that single rule in time of desolation never make a change i slipped the third third one in there. <laughs> that's okay <laughs> um, consciously but yeah. um that those eight words if you put them in practice those will get you safely through almost any darkness you may experience in the spiritual yeah. life like the man at 10 o'clock remembers rule five no lord i my practices at 10 o'clock i pick up the bible for 10 minutes 
And I recognize I'm in a time of desolation. I'm not going to change that. I'm going to stick, be firm and constant, Ignatius says, in what I planned before. That'll get you through so much and save you so much sorrow in the spiritual life. I love Rule 5. Yeah, uh, recently, when I taught it, one of the um, uh, participants was a young man um, made um, kind of like a golf-style shirt out of it. And on, on it was written, Stay Alive with Rule 5. <laughs> i'd like That's to see awesome. those marketed right i hear you well and, and it's so right uh, you know before in my life before i was introduced to this and read it and and listened to you multiple times i would have been the guy that changed something i would have been the guy that fell and just said you know why even try why why do it nothing's going right in my life and this isn't going to help either and you can almost see if you take your yourself out of the situation and, and look at yourself as if you were out of your body. It sounds weird, but you can almost envision the evil one just whispering in your ear, like, you know, almost working you like a puppet to say those things because that's what he wants of you, right? He wants you to quit and to lay those things down. And that was one of the most helpful things that I ever learned in, in my Catholic faith was stick to the plan, stick to the plan. Don't change anything. Do the things you know you need to do because that. At, at, at the middle of it all, that's what the devil is trying to get you not to do. He's trying to get you to break your habits, to walk away from God, and 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 he wins. He wins. He wins when he takes someone away from God. So that was one of the most um, helpful things for me, too. Um, so let me ask you this. When we're in desolation, which can be a short period of time, it can be a medium or a long period of time. I know desolation, there's no... There's no limits on 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 when we're in it and when we're not. How does one start to come out of that desolation? What can we do on our own to help the process of moving from those desolate times? Well, John, I can see you know the rules because you're just thinking right with Ignatius. Because from uh, in Rule Five, basically he says, "Don't let the enemy into your territory. Stay firm with what you'd planned." From Rule Six on, what he's doing is giving us tools to go right at the enemy's tactic. So rule five, don't change what you'd planned to do spiritually, what you'd planned before the desolation began. When you're in desolation, never change it. Stay firm and uh, carry it through. In rule six, which is the counterpart to rule five, Ignatius tells us of the changes that we should make in desolation, never to what we plan to do, but to ourselves and to the way we're facing the desolation. So we kind of gear up. Um, a football player once said to me, I think of, of rule five as defense. You don't let the enemy into your territory. And rule six is offense. You go right at the enemy. Mm -hmm. So Ignatius gives four tools there. And John, we're not going to have time to go into this in enough detail. Sure. Um, if I may, I'd like to rec Of course, I wrote the, the book on this that you mentioned. Uh, I think you mentioned the discernment of spirits, Ignatian wisdom for our lives mm -hmm. today. Uh, Ignatius, Ignatian wisdom... <laughs> You know, I've written enough books now, I can't remember the subtitle <laughs> of it. Um, That's a good and, problem to have. <laughs> uh, the, the main title is The Discernment of Spirits, the purple col sure. col colored book, which yes. will take a person through all of these rules. And I'd also like to mention the uh, podcast. Yeah. Oh, there it is. Yeah. What is the yeah, subtitle? Ignatian Guide, uh, Ignatian Guide for Everyday Living. Ignatian I don't know if I've got Guide for Everyday yeah. Living. And then together with that, I'd like to mention the series of podcasts that I did with uh, Discerning Hearts. That is an easy way and an accessible way. You know, we can all listen to podcasts at various driving or working sure. or exercising, whatever. Um, and you can find those on the Discerning Hearts 
com website, but maybe even more accessibly on the Discerning Hearts app, which is a free app okay. and loaded with wonderful stuff. If you do get the download, the uh, Discerning Hearts app, tap on Spiritual Formation. My name will come up, tap on that, and then you'll see the series entitled uh, Discernment of Spirits. And that'll take you through all 14 rules in a way we can't you know, do in the shorter time sure. than we have here. But the, the four tools that Ignatius mentions in uh, Rule 6 are prayer petition. As the man sits there at 10 o'clock, let him lift up his heart. Is it too simple to say, Jesus, help me? Mary, be with me. I, I could go down a wrong path here, and I'm weak, and I could do it. Be with me. Father, I need your love right now. Secondly, what he calls meditation. Have Bible verses right at hand that will help you. Think mm -hmm. back to times you've been in the struggle before, and God got you safely through. One woman had what she called her anti-desolation song, which she would sing. You know, it was a song of uh, trust in God's grace. Yeah. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Though I walk in a dark valley, I fear no evil. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? So it call, consciously calling these, these things to mind and pondering them right in the desolation and the struggle. And then what Ignatius calls ex uh, much examination. So what if the man at 10 o'clock... When what he's feeling is everything, this day was awful. Yeah. Uh, everything's heavy. I don't feel God's closeness. It's discouraging. Tomorrow's probably going to be just as bad or worse. All of this cloud of heaviness is there. And then he stops and looks at it and realizes, you know what? This morning uh, when I got up and spent some time in prayer, I was actually pretty happy. And it was none of this started until mid-morning when I got that report on the project that I'm working on that was discouraging for me and I sort of gave into it and just let things go and uh, just sort of flop through the day and so on. Okay, you can't do much about an overwhelming cloud of, of discouragement and heaviness and desolation, but you can do something about a project that didn't turn out as well as you'd hoped. All right, you know what, I'm going to talk with to my coworker tomorrow, or I'm going to talk with the boss, so we're going to figure out what went wrong here and we're going to get this thing going. And already he's going to start to feel a lot better about this. That's something you can do something about. And finally, what Ignatius calls suitable penance. Instead of fleeing into gratification, which is probably only going to make it worse, whether it's the phone or the refrigerator for the fourth time or flopping in front of the TV or just yeah. social media in a way that's not good, Netflix, YouTube, whatever it is, stand your ground. Uh, if the best thing you can do is wait 10 minutes before you pick up the phone, wait those 10 minutes. That may be pretty hard to do in desolation, but God can do a lot in 10 minutes. As Therese tells her sister, you take one small step with the Spirit, and the Spirit will show you the next and the next and the next. Okay, so that, that's rule six, uh, these four tools that Ignatius applies. If you apply rules five and six together, the changes you shouldn't make and those you should make, you're going to be well ahead of the game in dealing with desolation. Sure. Well, I want to talk about another thing really quickly, too, um, consolation. So obviously, whenever we're feeling wonderful and, and it sounds like there's a, a traffic, a, a track of your favorite music playing in your head, the birds are singing, you know, everything's going your way. Uh, there is a almost a proclivity to stop praying, to to stop um, awareness that there are going to be continued times of desolation that come your way. And I know Ignatius talks about that a little bit about how when we're in consolation, there can be traps or pitfalls of not praying, of thinking everything's fine, it's always going to be fine, and to let your guard down. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because 
oftentimes when, 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 when everything's going our way, we sort of lax on our spiritual practices and things sometimes mm-hmm. because we, we feel like everything's fine and, and we let our guard down. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Now, I do want to say that the main thing, the primary thing always, when God gives the grace, because that's what it is, it's a grace, mm-hmm. a freely given gift uh, of God. When God gives us the grace of spiritual consolation, like the warmth and the joy and the peace that the man feels after the confession mm-hmm. during the retreat, our primary call is, to use Ignatius' word, is to accept it, to receive it, uh, to drink it in, to allow the Lord to love us, to, to strengthen us, to prepare us for struggle, to give us joy and energy in the spiritual life through it. There's a lovely experience in the life of St. Elizabeth Seton. It happens when she's 15, and she describes it in a letter to a friend uh, many years later when uh, this young woman whose uh, mother has died, whose father is more absent than she would need and starve for a father's love, on a summer's day, uh, goes out in the woods and she sits under a chestnut tree and God floods her heart with love and warmth and closeness. And God was my father, my all. I laughed, cried, thinking of how far he could put me above all sorrow. Then she says, then I laid still to enjoy the heavenly peace that came over my soul, spiritual consolation. And I am sure in the two hours so enjoyed grew 10 years in the spiritual life. I don't think we'll ever get a better description of the primary call in time of spiritual consolation. Just receive God's love. There's a reason why he's giving it, and so much growth in our spiritual lives will come through spiritual consolation. Now, having said that, which is the primary thing, all that you've said, John, yeah, all of that is important. So we don't want to think in time of spiritual consolation. You know, for the last three weeks, prayer has been easy, and Uh, I've been getting to Mass more often during the week, and the Bible is alive for me when I read it. And I I love what's happening in my marriage and as I relate to my children, as I try to live like Christ more more fully. Um, We don't want to think that uh, desolation will never come back. (laughs) It will at some point. There's no shame in that. There's no surprise in that. That's just, as I said, living the spiritual life in a fallen, redeemed, and loved world. So in Rule 10, Ignatius says, when you're in a time of consolation, be aware that desolation will, and, and just uninhibitedly drinking in the gift and the love and the joy of it. But in those days or weeks of consolation, think ahead to the fact that desolation will return and prepare for it. Take in strength that will make a big difference when that comes. And then uh, Ignatius also, in Rule 11, invites us in time of spiritual consolation to remain humble. And that's what yeah. you were really getting at um, there, John, because... Um, And he says the way to remain humble in times of consolation is just to remember how we struggle when we don't have that consolation and we're in in desolation. Because what that does is it saves us from presuming on our strength in a way that can set us up, um, you know, for a a kind of a fall that that be difficult in the spiritual life. So we remain grateful, receive the love, and we remain humble in consolation. Humble in consolation trusting in desolation that's how we go on solidly in the spiritual life yeah and i tell you what uh, go ahead you sound like you were going to say something else go ahead yeah uh you know you're actually doing a marvelous job uh john we've got through an awful lot of the rules here sure, sure. i just want to i want to be sure that we mention uh, another of them in conjunction well on its own but also in conjunction with rule sure. five a few minutes ago i said that i begged of us never to forget rule five because Rule 5 would get us safely through almost any spiritual darkness we may 
encounter in life. In the darkness of desolation, don't make changes to anything in your spiritual life. Now I'll complete that. If you can never forget rules 5 and 13 together, those two rules will get you safely through any darkness you may ever encounter in the spiritual life. Rule 5, don't make changes in the darkness of the desolation. Rule 13, don't be alone in the darkness and the heaviness and the burden and the temptation. But find the appropriate, wise, and competent spiritual person and speak with that person. If you do those two things, rules 5 and 13, um, that'll get you safely through any darkness you may ever encounter. And that's only two of the 14 rules. Sure. Well, and, and you got to one of my last points here, one of the last questions I want to ask you about. Obviously, you've done a lot of spiritual direction. You, you've given your life to teaching people discernment and all of those things. I think for the everyday guy, and looking back at my own life, I never once, for the, for the first few years I was Catholic, ever heard of a spiritual director why I would need one, why would I would ever go to anybody outside of confession. What is the the need for that spiritual direction? I mean, you just sort of mentioned it in finding that person in desolation. And and I have to tell you, that has been such consolation for me, um, for lack of a better word, uh, to, to have my spiritual director to go to when I'm struggling with things, whether it's a financial issue, a decision that affects the family, um, a certain sin or something that I'm struggling with and can't seem to get out of just knowing I've got someone there has been such a gift. So to, to your everyday average guy out here that may have never even thought about a spiritual director, or even heard about it at this point, what would you say about that and the necessity of having one? Sure. Yeah. Uh, let's, first of all, let's just look at it on a natural level. You know, when you have a burden in your heart and, uh, Then you have a friend or a spouse or someone with whom you're able to speak really openly about it. And maybe the person doesn't even say anything. The other person just listens and understands what you're going through. You rise from that conversation with your heart much lightened and with new energy and even new clarity, simply having putting things into word to deal with the situation. All right, let's transfer that dynamic now to the spiritual life. You know, it's the basic reason why Jesus founded a church. We're not meant to walk the spiritual life alone, but we're meant to assist each other, to be uh, companions for each other on this journey. Journey, And this is just one uh, really rich application of that overall truth about our life of faith. So the sacrament of confession is there to for the forgiveness of sins. When we have failed sins, our faults and failings, we bring them to the Lord. We receive the outpouring of his love, his mercy, his healing, and his forgiveness. And that infusion of grace strengthens us on the spiritual journey. What spiritual direction deals with, sometimes you'll get a little mixture of spiritual direction um, in confession. So a little more is happening than just the forgiveness. We share what our sins are and receive forgiveness, but you may get some spiritual counsel. At that point, you're getting just a little bit of spiritual direction in confession. And if you know a confessor who's willing to do that and whom you find helpful, uh, that's a wonderful, wonderful way to be accompanied in the spiritual life. But what spiritual direction deals with is the our relationship with God. Things are like any relationship. Uh, it's never static. Things are happening as we pray, as we try to live the gospel, as we interact with others and try to be Christ in the world, as we live the life of the church. There are joys and sorrows, uh, thoughts of one thing and another, times of energy, times of struggle. So much is going on. 
we're praying. Uh, am I praying in the best way? It, would there be some advice from our Catholic spiritual tradition that could help me to grow in the life of prayer? This is what used to happen when I pray, but now this is happening, and I don't quite know what's going on. I felt a lot of energy spiritually before, and now it seems less, and I don't really know how to make sense out of that and where the Lord is leading uh, and so forth. So it's this, all of this which has to do with the lived experience of our relationship with God. That's what we bring to spiritual direction. And a spiritual director will listen to our experience as we share it, help us to probably even to be able to express it more clearly than we might on our own, and then probably give us some indications of where the Lord may be leading through all of this, things to avoid, um, <clears throat> pitfalls, the discouraging lies of the enemy, but above all, where God's love is uh, leading in our lives. So it's that basic principle that it's not good to be alone in the spiritual life. You know, when God says that from the beginning of time, excuse me, <clears throat> that it is not good for the man to be alone. That's true in terms of marriage, but it's true on every dimension of our existence, and that includes the spiritual life. So um, men's groups, uh, husbands and wives where that's possible, that's a beautiful way to be a company. Not trying to be each other's spiritual director, but just each other's companion and friend and spouse uh, in the Lord. Spiritual friends, with just guys with whom you can talk about these kinds of things. And today with digital resources, all sorts of uh, ways of doing that are available to us. And then where it's possible, um, a formal spiritual director like you mentioned, John, you know, where you meet periodically and uh, you have a chance to talk out your spiritual experience and be helped with it. Yeah. Wow. Well, you've really left us with a lot of information today. And I mean, I could have hoped for a, for a better uh, time on this. I think a lot of people are going to be helped by this. You know, Father Gallagher, um, for people that have had their interest peaked, that want to know more about this or more about specifically the way that you've uh, taught this and described it, where can they go to start? If I wanted to just dive into this, where would you direct them to start? And please tell them where they can find out more about you and what you're doing. Well, everything that I'll mention, um, with the exceptions of the podcast, everything else, all the books and DVDs and everything else is all available through my website, which is just fr. Uh, timothygallagher.org so fathertimothygallagher.org if you just do a web search for my name it'll come right up and then all of these materials are listed and available through the website so if a person wants to read about this there is the book that you held up john the purple book the discernment of spirits an ignatian guide for everyday living and if you'd like to uh, explore it with a specific application to marriage there is the book that uh, john also mentioned um, Discernment of Spirits in Marriage, there it is, uh, Ignatian yep. Wisdom for Husbands and Wives. Both books will introduce you, I think, pretty well to the rules. And then you'll be on to other resources are listed. If you want to do it in audio form, then uh, I would think the podcasts are probably the best way to do it. Mm -hmm. It's a series of 16 half-hour podcasts, which you can find on the Discerning Hearts app. Um if you want to do it in visual form, I taught this as a series on EWTN, and there is a DVD entitled Living the Discerning Life, which you can find through EWTN or through my website. Um, and I think those are the those would be the basic resources uh, to get started. I really I really hope that uh, any one of us for whom this is new material, or maybe uh, have a little introduction to it, I hope you'll you'll want to go further. I will promise you this. 
if you spend time reading, listening, viewing, uh, joining a group, whatever, getting to know these 14 rules better, the time will come when you will look back with gratitude on any time you spent in doing this because, and I say this out of the experience of 40 years now of sharing these with people, uh, you will experience the difference, the hope, the new energy, and the freedom from discouragement that these rules will bring. Yeah. And, and the phrase that always sticks out in my mind is what is of God and what isn't, you know, to sum up all of this is, is, is that such a help in our life? And so Father Gallagher, you're such a, you're such a gift to the church. You have been, as you said, for 40 years. So thank you for everything you've done here. Thank you for joining us. Um, if you are listening to this and you are a member of the, just a guy in the pew community, you know that we do these extra interviews with our guest. and Father Gallagher and I have talked about taking a few minutes here uh, in a few minutes to to do another small interview on discerning uh, the discernment of spirits in marriage. So if you're somebody in the membership, you could jump in there and you'll be able to see that as well. If you're not, you can become a member at justaguyonthepew.com and all of that goes to support the ministry, the nonprofit, and what we're doing here. So Father Tim Gallagher, thank you again so much for your time and just for all the gifts that you've given to us in the church. My, my pleasure. Thanks for having me here. All right. Take care.